Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I know we're right around Christmas and, you know, we tend to try to focus on Christmassy things. And uh, we'll certainly do that next week. This is not a Christmas message this morning. Um, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a necessary message. And if you get and read the emails, the devotionals that I put out a couple times a week, uh, then you might recognize these verses um, and, and, and the title of the message this morning. Um, but I, just, I posted this devotional this week, and this is the story uh, that I told in there. The, the name King Tut is probably one of the most recognizable names in all of at least Egyptian history. Um, I don't know much about Egyptian history, but I know the name King Tut, and probably you do too. Uh, his tomb was discovered, um, and uh, he became, you know, one of the greats among the, the, uh, the pharaohs. But I'll tell you this, uh, King Tut actually was only nine or ten years old when he came to the throne in Egypt, and he only lived to be 19 years old. All for all that we know about King Tut, he was only 19 years old when he died. Now, the, the, the other thing about that is that uh, he, was not, he was not even very well-known or very well-liked when he was a pharaoh. Uh, his parents were actually brother and sister, and so as a result, he was born with all kinds of physical problems. He had, he had a cleft palate, he had scoliosis, he had malaria, he had um, just a variety of other genetic defects that he was born with, and then he married his half-sister at a very young age. I mean, obviously he died at 19, so they were very young when they got married. They, they had two daughters that never made it to birth. Um, you know, and most people believe that it was all these genetic defects and all these problems that he had physically that actually led to his death at 19 years old. He wasn't killed in battle or anything like that. If you actually see pictures of what King Tut probably looked like in his life, he was very deformed. Um, you know, very, legs were very crooked, and he walked with, you know, their version of crutches, uh, just, just not, not anything that would inspire any kind of confidence, not anything like you think of when you think of the, the great pharaohs, you know, um, but the, the, the thing was, is that, um, well, and, and actually, what, what they think was, uh, what it led to his death was that he had an, um, uh, a seizure, that caused him to fall and break his leg that got infected that he ended up dying from because he had all these other problems on top of that, weak immune system and everything else. But the truth is that King Tut actually died in, in relative obscurity. Nobody knew him. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody recognized him as any kind of great pharaoh or anything like that. But for centuries, nobody even knew his name, much less studied him as one of the great pharaohs. But what happened in 1922 was that his tomb was discovered. And it was the most pristine tomb that they had ever come across when it came to the pharaohs. There was all kinds of artifacts in there. There was all kinds of just everything was in pristine condition. And so they were able to take everything out of King Tut's tomb and study it and learn a lot of Egyptian history from his tomb. That's the only reason that King Tut became famous in the first place. And you've probably seen the, the, the golden head statue of King Tut. That was his burial sarcophagus that he was buried in. Completely um, uh, perfect, basically, as far as uh, the way that the years usually do to things like that. But somebody wrote this about him. The pharaoh who in his life was one of the least esteemed of Egypt's pharaohs has become in death the most renowned. And I started thinking about that, and I said, you know, there's a lot of Christians 
that have lived their entire lives in relative or complete obscurity, that lived their lives for Jesus Christ and then died without anybody ever knowing their name, died without anybody ever writing their name in the history books, died without ever talking about the great accomplishments that they had, because they may not have had great accomplishments by worldly or even by Christian standards. No one knows who they are, what they accomplished for Jesus Christ. Think about the, the elderly lady who fervently prayed for revival and God sent it. There's been many revivals over the course of history that have been brought about by old ladies, and I don't mean that derogatorily, but by old ladies who decided that they were going to pray and beg God to send revival, and he did. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows that they were spending hours and hours and hours in prayer every day for God to send revival. Think about the, the young man whose faithfulness leads to people getting saved. Think about the martyrs, the millions and millions and millions of martyrs who have given their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. We know a few of their names because they're written in some books here and there, but the majority of them died in obscurity. Only years later, perhaps centuries later, and, and perhaps not even on this earth, will the extent of their work for Christ be revealed. It may not even be revealed until the day that we stand before him and receive the rewards for the things that we've done. But look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name. In that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Let me share with you this morning that the rewards in heaven for a life lived for Jesus Christ will far outweigh any of the accolades that we can earn on this earth. So many people, so many Christians live their lives to be recognized. They live their lives so that they can make a name for themselves. They live their, their lives so that they can one day hopefully be famous and go down in the history books or at least even in the, the Christian annals of history so that people will remember their names. The key here is Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9. God remembers. God remembers. And that's all that matters. Are you willing to be an unknown hero? What I want to share with you this morning is the three elements that make an unknown hero. Let's pray and then we'll look at these things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the message that you've given this morning. I pray that you'd help me as I deliver it, that you'd help us to understand exactly what you're trying to get across in this passage here in Hebrews, and that we'd, willing to, that we'd be willing to serve you for the sake of serving you, for the sake of living for you, not for anything else. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we uh, open our hearts this morning, that you give us exactly what we need in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing is this. An unknown hero, hero is willing to serve without being seen. An unknown hero is willing to serve without being seen. I recently read about a, a veteran's speech that he was giving. He was a, he was a veteran of the Navy, and he, you, he was giving this speech um, uh, just, just after he had retired. And he, he said this, the, the simple saying in the Navy is this, it is the unseen wind that drives the ship, 
not the lofty sail. It's the unseen wind that drives the ship, not the lofty sail. You know, the, the sail is visible to everybody. It's, it's vital for the ship to go forward. You have to have the sail in order for the ship to go. But it wouldn't go anywhere without the unseen wind that's driving those sails. You know, the, the same thing can be said about a whole lot of aspects of life. You think about a general that, that is awarded for all the great accomplishments that he did. That general would be nothing without the soldiers serving underneath of him. Right. You know, you think about uh, uh, even a, in a football game, the quarterback is usually the one that gets all the recognition. You know, most of the time it's the quarterback who wins the MVP. Most of the time it's the quarterbacks who are paid all the money and everything else. But without a, a front line to protect that quarterback, he would be smashed, and he wouldn't have a name out there. He could, he could be the guy that throws the ball the longest of anybody else. He could be the most accurate quarterback. But without all of those other guys on the team, the quarterback is nothing. He's the lofty sails. And, it, and, and you have to have the sails in order to be able to have a, uh, the ship go forward. But it's that unseen wind behind those sails that make that ship go forward. And you know, in, in the Lord's service, it's the same way. There, there are those who faithfully serve unnoticed, but they drive the work of God forward. In fact, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Without these unseen servants, the work of God would be at a standstill. And I'll tell you, you know, it, it's often been said that a leader is only as good as his followers. And we talk about a, a general, we talk about a, uh, a, uh, a quarterback, and a, and a pastor may get whatever credit is given to the church for seeing the church grow, but I can tell you this, that without people faithfully serving the Lord in that church, there would be no church. I could get up here and preach the, the, the best message that's ever been preached. I can be the greatest orator that's ever lived, and if I'm speaking to an empty auditorium, it doesn't count for anything. There has to be faithful servants of God willing to serve in that church to drive the church forward. And then even in a bigger sense, look, there has to be churches like ours that drive Christianity forward. We may, not, we may be small compared to some of these large churches that are out there that seem to be doing so much for God. But if there wasn't thousands and thousands and thousands of little churches like ours across the United States, Christianity would not be moving forward. We are the unseen wind that is driving the sails of Christianity forward. Samuel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told Saul this in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. God has been so good to us. We just came through Thanksgiving, and that's, you know, you can only talk about being thankful at Thanksgiving time, and so we, we're trying to get as much out of that as we can, right? <laughs> No, we should be thankful all the time. But think about all the things that God's done for you. Think about how good he's done to us. Why wouldn't we serve him in truth with all of our hearts? But the point is, we ought to be serving him. And if we're serving him, we are the wind, that unseen wind that's driving the sails. Two questions come to mind regarding our role as being the unseen wind. Number one is this. Am I content Serving in the role of an unseen servant that drives the work of God forward. Am I content serving in the role of an unseen servant that helps drive the work of God forward? You know, in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, I, don't, I won't have you turn over there for the sake of time, but we see Korah. Korah was unwilling to serve without being seen. You can write Numbers, chapter 16, down and go back and read that story. It's a, it's a wonderful story in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. But he railed against Moses for taking the credit. Moses wasn't out there taking the credit. 
God had put Moses in that position, and God was using Moses in a great way. And God was, the, the children of Israel were being led in a great way by Moses because Moses was willing, willing to be led by God. But Korah mis, misrepresented that. He mistook that, and he saw that as Moses taking the credit. And so he confronted Moses about that. Why do you have to take all the credit for everything that's going on? Why can't there be more of, more of you? Why can't there be more of us that have the same position as you have? Why do you have to have all the positions? God dealt very harshly with Korah. You see what happened as a result of that. Number one, there was a lot of division that happened within the, within the ranks of the Israelites. There was a good number of people who actually followed Korah in his rebellion. But you know how God dealt with it? They were standing there, and, 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 and Moses, God told Moses to do this. Moses did it. He said, Korah, you get all your people, and you get everybody that wants to follow you, and you stand right here. Because if, if God is going to judge you, we don't want to be part of that judgment. Korah, all right, fine. I'm standing on what I said. You shouldn't be the one taking all the credit for everything. And so Korah and all his people were gathered there, and God opened the earth underneath them, and the earth swallowed them up, the Bible says. And then the earth closed back on top of them. God was serious about that. Korah was not willing to be an unseen servant. He wanted to be recognized for everything that he was going to do. The second question is this. Am I a part of that unseen wind? Or am I just standing still and not making a difference? Am I a part of that unseen wind? Or am I standing still and not making a difference? In Nehemiah chapter 3, and again, for the sake of time, we won't, turn, we won't turn over there. But we read about the nobles, and it says this about them, who put not their necks to the work of the Lord. They put not their necks to the work of the Lord. In other words, they were too important for the menial labor. They were working on building that wall. Not me. You got workers for that kind of stuff. Give me the important jobs. Give me the jobs that matter. Give me the jobs that people can see. They weren't going to serve unless they could get recognized for it, unless it was a job that they deemed was important enough for men like them. And you know, sadly, that's the way that a lot of Christians serve the Lord these days. Well, if I can't be recognized for it, then what's the point of even doing it? You want me to go back and serve there? Nobody can even see me. That's not even a ministry that even counts for anything. Oh, it's important. It's important to the work of the ministry. It's important to the Lord, but it's not important to you because it's not a ministry that everybody can see that you're doing. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we have a problem with this in our church. It's not why I'm preaching this message this morning, but it's all about our mindset. Many times we're willing to do whatever needs to be done, but in the back of our mind, why do I have to do this? You know, I can't read your mind. I don't know what's going on in your heart. The Lord knows and the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in your mind. And so, Maybe, this, maybe somebody needs this message this morning. Am I willing to serve as an unseen servant to drive the work of God forward? Or am I just standing there not even becoming part of that unseen wind? Am I just standing still doing absolutely nothing? We all have to consider what part we play in the course of our lives that reflect that unseen wind. Turn over to John chapter 12. It may go unnoticed by mankind. But I can tell you this, it doesn't go unnoticed by God. The people that fulfill the role of that unseen wind on the earth are going to be recognized in heaven as that lofty sail. I would so much rather be recognized in heaven as a lofty sail than on earth as a lofty sail. The Bible says in John chapter 12 and verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. 
If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Boy, there's a lot in there, but two things that I can pick out of there. Number one is this, where I am, there shall also my servant be. That means if you're not close to Christ, you're probably not one of his servants. If you're not living for him, then you're probably not serving him. Because where he is, his servants are going to be there too. But the second thing, he says this, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's a promise. He's going to honor those who serve him. An unknown hero is willing to serve without being seen, but also an unknown hero is willing to love without being loved. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. One of my favorite stories growing up was the story of Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and three other missionaries that died with them in their attempt to reach the Alka Indians with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Alka Indians had never been in contact with white men before. And these missionaries, five of them, decided that they were going to try to take the gospel to these Indians and share the message of the gospel with them. And so they had a, they had a, a, a little Piper Cub airplane that they started to drop gifts to these Indians. And they started to try to get friendly with them. And they started to try to show them that they, were, they, they, they just wanted to be peaceful with them. And so they, they planned all kinds of things out, and these missionaries tried to show them the love of Christ. And uh, through the misinterpretation, apparently, of the signals that were given by these missionaries, they decided finally that this was the day that they were going to go in and talk to those Alka Indians and try to see what they could do about sharing the gospel with them. And as they were walking into that Indian camp, those Indians attacked them, and all five of those missionaries were killed with spears. And a few days later, when they couldn't make contact with them, they found the bodies of those missionaries, all five of those men floating in the river. And you think, boy, what a sad story. But even more impressive was the fact that on the bodies of those men, they were carrying guns that were never pulled out of their holster, never fired a shot. Well, they could have protected their own lives, and they didn't. They loved those Indians. And they wanted to get the gospel to the Indians in the jungle of South America. Even more courageous than those missionaries was the five missionaries' wives. Because it wasn't long after that that those five missionaries' wives went back to those same Indians who had just killed their husbands. And instead of bringing a group of men with a bunch of guns to take them out for what they did, they showed up there with love. They showed up there with a heart for those Indians. They showed up there with the gospel. And you know what happened? Those Indians saw that. They recognized that they were there with hearts of love. And they opened up their arms. And they allowed those missionary wives to come in and share the gospel with them. And they got saved. Every one of the men that was involved in killing those five missionaries accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. Many, many others in that village accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They built the church, and that church is still there today. This happened in the 1950s. That church is still there today. 1957. There's a lot of things that have happened since then. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, wrote a book called Through Gates of Splendor. They made a movie about it called The End of the Spear. Nate Saint's son, who is in his 60s today, has been involved in the Alka missionary work for all of the years growing up and then after that. And has been, has been actively involved in helping bring other tribes and groups of people who have never heard the message of the gospel, help, helping them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
one of the most famous quotes in probably all of Christianity was written by Nate Saint before his death. This is what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul basically said the same thing in verse 15. He said this, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. See, the world today is very much anti-God. We're going to find very few friends of the cross amongst those who are not saved. We're often going to feel unloved. Love anyway. We're going to feel unwanted. Love anyway. We're going to be made fun of and ridiculed. Love them anyway. We'll be mocked and laughed at. Love them anyway. I can tell you we're going to be called crazy. We're going to be called hateful. Love them anyway. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved, Paul said. We'll be cheated and lied about. Love them anyway. After all, isn't that what Jesus Christ had done to him? And yet, he loved them anyway. While he was on the cross. We were on his mind. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We say that verse all the time when we're sharing the gospel with somebody. But think about those words. While we were still sinning, Jesus Christ was dying for us. He knew that we were going to come along. He knew we were going to be sinners, and yet he died for us anyway. He loved us. Though the more abundantly he loved us, the less we loved him. He knew that he was going to be spit on. He knew that he was going to be mocked. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to be whipped. And he loved us anyway. Our goal is not to make people feel bad. That happens many times as a result of us sharing the truth and the word of God. But that's not what our goal is. We're not out there trying to make people feel bad. But we're going to be misinterpreted. And we're going to be misquoted. We ought to love him anyway. We're going to be misunderstood and mistaken. We ought to love them anyway. Those that we're trying to help will often lash out against us. And they're going, to, they're, 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 going to, they're going to reject that help. But we need to love them anyway. They need Jesus Christ. And often the only way that they're going to be drawn to him is if we as Christians are so Christ-like that they can't help but see Jesus in us. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. And because we are the representatives of Jesus Christ, many times we get offended because, oh, they rejected us. Oh, they said this to me. Oh, they said that to me. They need Jesus Christ. And if we don't show them that Christ-like love, they're never going to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. One of my favorite quotes is on a plaque on my wall. It says this, live in such a way that those who know you but don't know Christ will come to know Christ because they know you. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know Christ will come to know Christ because they know you. An unknown hero is willing to be loved even though he may not be loved back. An unknown hero is willing to serve without being seen, willing to love without being loved, and lastly, he's willing to preach without being praised. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. You might think that this is a point just for me. Well, you're the preacher up there, so as long as you're willing to preach and nobody's going to praise you, then you're good. You're an unknown hero. But this is for all of us. This is not just for the preacher who gets up on Sunday morning and preaches. 
The Bible says in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, and he said unto them, this is for all of us, this is to all of his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. That word preach means to proclaim, to make known, to offer. We're commanded then to do this for every creature. We're to offer pardon. We're to offer eternal life to them on the terms of the plan of mercy through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is all about. Salvation is coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's nothing attached to that. Oh, there's a lot of religions that have strings attached. Yeah, you can come. You can go to heaven if you do this, 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 and this in the church. The gospel message has no strings attached to it. You either accept Jesus Christ as your Savior or you reject Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no middle ground when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ. See, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ is just that. Being saved is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, there's a lot of people that want to knock religion, and I don't blame them because religion has been the cause of a whole lot of problems in this world. Amen. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And once you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you know that there's nothing attached to it. Oh, of course, God wants you to live for him. God wants you to do things that are pleasing to him. And, of course, then we get into the Bible and we try to find out how he wants us to live and all of those other things. But Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of those other religions are, are religions that are adding things to the gospel. Well, you've got to get baptized and then you've got to join the church. That doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Well, you've got to give money to the church, and you have to come and repent of your sins and pay money to repent for those sins. That's not a part of salvation. Well, you have, to, you have to do all of this stuff for your entire life so that hopefully when you die, you'll get this when you get to heaven. That's not a part of salvation. That's all religion. That's all man-made. That's all been put together by somebody who was fooling the masses. That's not Christianity. Real Christianity is nothing to do with all the good things that we can do. Real Christianity has everything to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's you accept him as your savior, you accept him as the payment for your sin, or you reject him. That's it. And that's what our job is, is to share that message with everyone. When the Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, it doesn't mean that you have to put a sermon together every Sunday and stand up there and preach like I'm doing this morning. It means you need to proclaim the message of the gospel. Amen. You need to share the good news. That's what the gospel means. Gospel means good news. We are to share the message of the good news that Jesus Christ wants to save you. We have that assurance that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, has come and that he'll forgive sin and he's going to save souls. We don't get to choose who we share that message with. And it's sad, but there's a lot of Christians out there that pick and choose who they're going to share the message of the gospel with. Well, you know, we have, you know, we, we don't have a right to limit the offer that Jesus Christ gives us for salvation to any class of people. Any group of people. Amen. God commands his servants to offer salvation to all men. And if they reject that, that's rejecting that at their own peril. If they reject the message of the gospel, that's their fault. And by the way, 
Once the message of the gospel has been given you, you're responsible for what you do with it. You're responsible for how you respond to the message of the gospel. And once you've heard the message, you are either accepting it or you're rejecting it. There is no middle ground. How we become so guilty of discrimination in who we'll share the gospel with. You know, well, that guy's homeless. I'm going to stay away from him. I don't know what he's got up his sleeve, or I'll get no recognition if I lead him to Christ. He probably won't even come to church after that. He, he doesn't have a car. How's he going to get here? Right? Oh, we, we'd never say that. But those thoughts go through our mind. Well, that guy's he's a homosexual. That, what, what others are going to think about me if they see me talking to him? Right? Oh, they're wicked sinners. They don't deserve to go to heaven. God's going to punish them one day. What a horrible attitude. What a rejection of the great commission that we've been given to preach the gospel. Well, that woman has a bad reputation. I'm staying as far away from her as I can. Who are you to determine whether she can hear the gospel or not? Well, those savages in the jungle of South America, they won't know who I am. They won't send word back to the states of everything that I do for them. I can't go there. That religious class of people doesn't deserve to be saved. Besides, I could spend my whole life telling them and only see a handful of them get saved. That's not worth it. What we're really saying is that if we don't get credit for it, we're not going to do it. What we're really saying is we're not willing to be an unknown Hero for the cause of Jesus Christ. An, un, an unknown hero is willing, to be, is willing to preach without being praised. We don't get to choose those things. We're commanded to tell every creature and try to bring them to Christ. Well, I can only tell them if the pastor knows that I did it so I can get publicly praised for seeing this person come and get saved or so that I can get publicly praised for actively trying to share the message of the gospel. We may never say it out loud, but those are the wicked thoughts that run through our heads or else we would share the gospel with everybody that we come into contact with. We have an excuse for why we're not sharing it. Otherwise, we would be. And it may not be as, as devious as some of those other things that I mentioned, but you know, I love to hear your stories about winning other people to Christ. I love to hear your stories about how you're telling other people about Jesus Christ. But that ought not to be our motivation for why we're sharing the message of the gospel. I marvel to think about how many missionaries there may have been that served on foreign fields without ever getting their name in the lights, without ever being able to come back to the United States and talk about all the thousands of people that they won to Jesus Christ, but they faithfully served God on the mission field. They're unknown heroes. I wonder how many older ladies or older men will stand before God to see him, to hear him say, well done all the prayers that they offered up for those that were not saved, for all the prayers that they gave that God would send a revival, for all the prayers that they gave that people would come to know Jesus Christ. I wonder how many will be rewarded for faithfully enduring persecution without ever writing back to make sure everyone knew they were suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many Sunday school workers or how many bus ministry workers I wonder how many nursery workers will be standing for God, getting rewarded for faithfully serving week after week, year after year, without ever asking or hoping for recognition. May I remind you of this? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
don't know how many times I heard my dad say that when we were growing up. But he stuck. Only one life. Only one life. That's all we get. Well, I'm not going to serve God because I'm not going to get recognized for it. Oh, well, maybe in the next life. No. Get one shot. That's it. One chance. Most people aren't willing to be an unknown hero because they don't want to serve without recognition. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6 one more time. They don't want to labor without people knowing that they're doing it. They don't want to, be ser- they don't want to serve without being seen. They don't want to pray unless other people are there to hear them praying. Oh, some of the greatest hypocrisy is done when people stand up to pray in church. Haven't spent a moment of prayer on your knees before God in your own private time. But oh, listen to the words that I can spin together in a beautiful sentence when I pray before people. We're guilty of it. They're not willing to love without being loved. They're not willing to preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ unless they get recognition for all the people that they've won to them. The best promise of all for a servant that is just willing to serve Jesus Christ, who will just serve because he loves Jesus Christ, is right there in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. You know, after all is said and done, an unknown hero is still a hero. Let's pray. Father, we love you again. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you so much for all of those unknown heroes that have gone on before us. And God, we can't even call them by name because we don't know who they are. But you do. All those who were willing to serve you in whatever capacity you wanted them to serve, whether they got recognition for it or not, all those who were willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, whether they got recognition for it or not, all those who just wanted to be in the middle of your will, whether that took them to a place where nobody knew who they were or whether it put them in a spot that everybody knew who they were. I know for a fact, God, that you're willing to use those who are willing to serve, whether they get the credit for it or not. And I know that there's so many things that can be accomplished if we'd all serve without caring who got the credit for it. May it be our prayer, God, that we strive to only hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May we, may we all be willing to be unknown heroes for the cause of Jesus Christ. You would stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This is a message this morning that probably no one would ever know whether you're doing these things or not. This is a heart message this morning. In other words, 
It's all about your motivation. Why are you motivated to do the things that you do? Now, everybody can see the, the things that you're doing for Christ. Everybody can see whether or not you're serving him. But what are your motivations? Are you doing it so you can be seen? Are you doing it so that you can get recognized? Are you only doing it if you get seen and recognized? Or are you doing it for Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit spoke into your heart this morning. The piano is going to play. And as she does, the invitation is open. And you can come.